you'll be receiving a handout, and it will contain the scripture that we normally would read at this time. And I'll simply have you to follow along as we read from your outline. We've been spending a number of weeks on topics relating to, we've used different titles and things, the, the model of the church at Jerusalem, the model of the New Testament church, what God is looking for, essentials for foundational Christianity. And we're looking at something this morning that I think we treat rather lightly because it's so easy to say and seemingly pleasant to think about. Love. And I'm afraid that so often we we miss the point. We, we, we come short. We have, we somehow miss the miracle of God's love. And so that's going to be our theme this morning, the miracle of God's love. And we'll, let ju- we'll just let the scriptures set it forth. So following along, And one of the reasons I wanted to do this this way is because we are using a couple of different translations. You may never have heard of the Moffat translation. But in Romans 5.5, the KJV says, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto you. And a part of that verse in the Moffat says, God's love floods our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given unto us. So I have a basic question. Can you be born again and not be transformed? Not if the Word of God is true. The most profound miracle on earth takes place when you're born again. It's not just that your sins... I don't want to minimize sins forgiven and home in heaven... But right now, your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit, the love of God, the Holy Spirit has flooded your hearts with the love of God. Miracle stuff. What does that look like? 1 Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 13, beginning with verse 1, reading from the Amplified. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love for others going out of God's love for me, that's what the Amplified does. It amplifies. Then I have become only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, just an annoying distraction. And if I have the gift of prophecy and speak a new message from God on the, uh, to the people and understand all mysteries and possess all knowledge, and if I have all sufficient faith so that I can remove mountains but do not have love reaching out to others, I am nothing. If I give all of my possessions to the poor, And if I surrender my body to be burned, 
but do not have love, it does me no good at all. You said, how in the world can you do all of that and not have love? The world is full of people. Of the various religions of the world and people who are not religious at all who've done all of that. Not in the name of Christ. Verse 4, love, God's love that has flooded your heart, endures with patience and serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful, is not jealous or envious. Love does not brag and is not proud or arrogant. Love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. It is not provoked, nor overly sensitive and easily angered. Love does not take into account the wrong endured. Love does not rejoice in or at injustice, but rejoices with the truth when right and truth prevail. Love bears all things, regardless of what comes. Love believes all things. Love love, love believes all things, looking for the best in each one. Love hopes all things, remaining steadfast during difficult times. Love endures all things without weakening. Love never fails. It never fades or ends. And then the final text passage, 1 John, or the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Of all the things that Jesus could have said, that and assignments that he could have given, commandments he could have gave and said, you know, here, here's the key for a lost world to know whether or not you are a Christian. This is the one he chose. By this shall all men know you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. Oh, I love everybody. It just, it just easily falls out of our lips, doesn't it? I don't hate anybody. We don't have a clue. I still remember, dear brother, now with the Lord, Sunday school teacher, fire and gasoline, you can fill in the blanks. And assignment, we're going to go through the Love Life book by Ed Wheat. Unlike a lot of men, he liked to read. He showed up for the first meeting. He sat down. I read the whole book. I said, great. Now let's go through it. I didn't praise him. I didn't doubt him. I just said, let's go through it. And so we started plodding through a chapter at a time, a week at a time, chapter after chapter. He came in one morning about halfway through, and he sat down and he said, Pastor, if you had asked me if I'd loved my wife, I would have said yes. I've never had a clue. Living on the surface world, teaching about love, singing about love, treating his wife like dirt, she treating him similar fashion, 
when the word of God was quickened into their hearts, they both received an amazing miracle that transformed their lives and their marriage. Because love does something. When love floods your heart, when the Holy Spirit is not grieved and not quenched, miracles take place. Our Father, we ask for the ministry of the Spirit of God upon us today, that we would hear the word of the Lord, that we would be transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ, that we would experience the miracle that you have for us, that you flooded our hearts with. And we bless you that you are going to be at work in each of our lives today as we look at these and other scriptures. And for this we pray and give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So how important is this? You look at those first verses there, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 8. Is this really important? Well, he's already told us that it's important because you can do a lot of things, but if you don't have love, you have zero and um, can be very impressive. And we have, we have a lot of people who are impressive in our world today, in the world of religion. But we have a shortage of love. How important is this? Well, without this you are zero. And this is the new commandment I give unto you, by which the world will know that we're his disciples. This puts it at the top of the list of importance. Write this in stone. We have to get this out of the way up front. There is no verse in the Bible that says how the other person is treating me excuses me from my assignment. Oh, I would love him or her, but you don't know what I'm having to live with. I probably don't. But that is totally irrelevant. Christian, you have an assignment to love your brother or sister in the body of Christ. To love your brother or sister who happens to be your husband or your wife. To love your family members. To love that Christian that you work with. And nothing that they have ever done, nothing that they ever will do, will God give you a permission. Oh, here's your uh, permission uh, slip. You don't have to love them anymore because of what they did for you or what they did to you. As many of you know, the Apostle Paul, and it's good to see First uh, Corinthians 13 in context, and, and so chapter after chapter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul dealt with a lot of issues that that church was facing, which when you look at those, you could just write on that chapter, 
Root problem, lovelessness. In the first four chapters, they were filled with strife. Wonder where that came from. You know, the Bible has a way of simplifying things for us. Pride. That's where strife comes from. Proverbs 13.10. That's where contention comes from. Oh, hold on, time out. Not their pride, mine. We immediately want to apply it to somebody else. We'll have a Bible school, we'll have a, a men's le- lesson or a Sunday school class, and, and immediately we want to apply it to the people out there. Or, boy, I wish so-and-so had been here today. They needed this. They probably do. They probably do. Lord, you bless them with it. Now, I'm focusing in on because you want to speak to me. I suspect that many of the people at Corinth were just sincerely defending their position. It probably started out just with differences. I don't believe any of you ever got married and you intended to be miserable. A few years ago, Sandy and I got married. Over half a century ago. We did not intend to be miserable. We did not say, honey, let's get married so we can be unhappy. But one of the first things we began to experience was differences. I could keep you here all day about our differences. Mostly mine. Most of us have a hard time handling differences. Most of us have an easy solution. I'm right and you're wrong. And so you sit down to have a discussion. I'm right and you're wrong. And so the whole point of the discussion, and when you have two people who are saying or thinking, I'm right, you're wrong, guess what you're going to have? Explosion. You're going to give each other ammunition. You'll have enough ammunition to where uh, hell will freeze over before you get this thing settled. Because you're on the wrong road. And so you get angry, you withdraw, you dig in, you sharpen your weapons, you build an army of supporters. It's a miracle that Cindy and I didn't just survive, but by the grace of God, over a period of years, begin to thrive and begin to grow. We still have differences. That's life. Two people, and you've got differences. Some of you, even with your own self, just one of you, you've got differences with yourself. (laughs) If we could only see 
our differences constitute a grand opportunity to show a strife-filled world the supernatural reality of God's love. It's our opportunity. Jesus said something about you do more than others. Christians, you're able to do more than others. So there's, there's room for diversity in a home, in a church. We're not talking about heresy so far as a church. But husband, wife, if, even if your wife or husband is guilty of heresy, you, your assignment has not changed. Husband, you are to love her even as in the same manner as Christ loved you. So, room for diversity, but not for divisiveness. No room for lovelessness in the church, in the home. By this shall all men know we're disciples of Jesus as we love one another. In the fifth chapter, they were tolerating gross sin among professed believers. They refused to discipline. Uh, God's love is holy love. He is the Holy Spirit, so anything he has anything to do with is going to be uh, flooded with holiness. And when Christians are loving and holy, they will make genuine, humble attempts to rescue the, way, the, the, the fallen or the straying. Because as Galatians 6.1 says, we were, we're to remember who we were. Considering yourself also lest you stumble. In chapter 6, uh, our purpose at this point is not to go into the details of all these, but just hit these high points and say in a whole s- um, massive array of situations, this church had a problem. No, they didn't have a problem. They had problems. <laughs> they were taking each other to court not willing to suffer, not willing to forgive. They were having all kinds of marriage problems. And when you read chapter 7, you can discern that, I'm sure it was like today, when when they got this letter, they began to plow through it and look for an out. A lot of people turn to the Word of God and they look for an out. They look for a way to escape God's calling. And there's some strong verses in chapter 7 about the permanence of marriage and And then there's a a verse in chapter 15 that I'm almost persuaded only God knows what it means. But people forget all the other verses and go to that one. And pastors just, they have a stamp. Approved, 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 approved. Uh, Pastors' calling today is to approve divorces. And... I had a dear one call me some years ago. He laid out a situation. He wanted approval. I said, well, I don't have all the facts. And here's, I would like to encourage you to be uh, restorative. I would like to encourage you to to be redemptive. Slammed the phone down. Didn't hear from him for years.
in my home, am I majoring on loving as Jesus loves? His love for his bride never quits. Now, unless you honestly and wrongly believe that Jesus will save a person and then dump them, stop loving them, reject them, send them to hell, you can stop loving your spouse when Jesus stops loving you. You say, well, time out, I'm already way past all this. I'm in my second marriage, I'm in the third marriage. You can clear your conscience of all the past. It's not an unforgivable sin. And you take God's point of view about this present marriage and you treat it. You're not, you're not God's example, but you can be uh, a testimony of his mercy. And you don't have to be a second-class Christian. Uh, we've had a number of people through the years teach wonderful Sunday school classes and so forth. A brother that I saw yesterday has preached in this pulpit. And he could not be a pastor, at least in our fellowship. But they were in verse chapter 9, they were arguing about, uh, was Paul an apostle? In chapter 10, they were arguing about... Uh, Paul had to warn them at least about lust and idolatry and fornication and tempting God and murmuring. In chapter 11, they were having misconduct at the Lord's Supper, at the fellowship meals. Chapters 12 and 14, they were all messed up concerning the gifts of the Spirit, all focused on self-glorification, self-gratification, personal excitement. This church had a few problems. But don't forget something. They were radically transformed from what they used to be. Chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. If your lifestyle is gluttony, we'll start with that one instead of the normal one you'd expect. Homosexuality, sodomy. Or a whole host of other things. If that's your lifestyle, you won't be in heaven. And such were some of you. The charter members were big, bad ex-sinners. Now they're saints who sometimes sin. But they are no longer under the bondage of sin. Their life has been transformed. So the carnal church at Corinth was far more spiritual than most of the churches in our day. But all of this is the context. The purpose of going over this quickly is all of this is the context of 1 Corinthians 13. So now I have another question for myself and for you. Had we been members of that church... Would we have been a part of the problem? Part of the solution? In chapter 1, the house of Chloe was a part of the solution. 
They were not like the people that came to me many years ago after evening service in which I'd preached very strongly about gossip and slander and all of this. And and because uh, we'd been six months without any of that, so far as I knew, and considering our past, I thought, well, it's a good time to preach on that. So two men called me back to the office and said, we understand you've stolen $400 of the church's money. And so by the grace of God, I was able to explain that I had not. One of them seemed very disappointed. <laughs> well, all I know is that it's all over the church. and You've got to do something about it. I said, well, how long have you known about it? Well, at least two weeks. Well, you have prohibited me from doing anything about it for two weeks. And I'll just go ahead and quickly tell you that from that false accusation, my anger and my self-righteousness rose to the top. And the following Sunday, I planned to get in this pulpit and say, here's what I've been accused of. Here's the truth. It's irrefutable truth. How many of you knew about this? And then just blast them for being slanders and gossipers and all this. Doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? By Wednesday night, we had Wednesday night service in the auditorium at that point. My heart was so broken and so grieved that I could have done it. I stood before the Wednesday night crowd and said, here's what has happened. Uh, here's the truth. I didn't do it, but by the, by, it's only by the mercy of God. I could have done that. And here's what really hurts me. If I had done it, there would have been no one to love my soul. No one to care for my soul. The house of Chloe was not like those two men. They had information about the troubles going on in the church family. And so they went directly to the person who was chiefly responsible for the spiritual welfare of that church family. Happened to be the Apostle Paul. They were not tattlers. They were not gossipers. Information like that needs to go to the person who's supposed to do something about it. And I've had people unload on me. Well, so-and-so is going on in church. Who? Oh, I couldn't tell you that. That would be breaking a confidence. And I would never break a confidence. Well, that may sound spiritual, but it's very ungodly. What you're wanting to do is you're wanting to keep the supply chain of, of juicy stuff going to you. You know if you expose that person, uh, your pipeline's going to be shut down. The house of Chloe went to, we would not have the 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I mean, most of the of 1 Corinthians had it not been for the house of Chloe. The house of Stephanus in chapter 16. They were a part of the solution. Now, if you've never put this in context, you're really missing something. The house of Stephanus was addicted to the ministry of the saints. Where? Corinth. What? 
I'm not going to serve the Lord in that place. Those people don't serve the Lord. They compromise on this. They've got this problem. They've got that problem. Oh, as a child of God, you have a calling to minister to the saints. Your calling does not stop because there's problems in the church. You ought to turn up the burners. Say, are you sharing all this because something's going on that we don't know about? If there's something going on you don't know about, I don't know about it either. I just know that there's nothing more vital than for there to be love in the church and love in the home. And I know that there's, if this is the greatest commandment, to love God and to love your neighbor, and especially the neighbor who's your church member, fellow church member, or your, your, your wife, your husband, if that's the greatest commandment, where do you expect that would be the greatest opposition? If by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, do you suppose that Satan, who hates Christ and who hates you, would want to stir you up and get you out of sword and get you in a position where you're not loving each other? Oh, of course, that's, that's big time. The Apostle Paul was a part of the solution. He helped others. With the help of others, he got all the facts, and we have this letter. He addressed everything specifically. And he used names. I'm not nearly as bold or as foolish as I used to be. <laughs> we had been having peace. This church had had a long history of controversy. And I got wind that there were some people talking about others behind their backs. And so during the announcement period, I said... Uh, this is what has come to my, my attention. I'm not naming any names at this point, but I know exactly who you are. And if you don't quit, next Sunday I'm naming you before the whole congregation. And I'm in it. Well, I got my idea not from a television show. I got it from the Apostle Paul. Exhort. Eudotius and Synthete to live in harmony. Philippians 4.2 Demas has forsaken me. Alexander has done me evil. The Apostle Paul had the gall. No, no. The Apostle Paul had the Christianity to even publicly name the Apostle Peter. Because the Apostle Peter was doing something publicly that was causing distress and causing a, a, a shadow over the pure gospel. And Peter, bless his heart, had compromised on something and it was causing quite a problem. And in the book of Galatians, Peter got his name in the Bible. Other than his epistle and a lot of other things. And so when 
Paul sent out a letter. He, he sent it out with a lot of doctrine, with, with reproof and correction and instruction. Now, what, what, was, what kind of response do you expect from that kind of preaching? <coughs> well, some of the people repented. Uh, genuine repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 through 10. Some of the people, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8 through 10, I like what the living paraphrase, this is a paraphrase, this is what they said. Don't bother about his letters. He was, had announced he was coming and he's written this hard 1 Corinthians and don't bother about his letters. He sounds big. But it's all noise. When he gets here, you'll see that there is nothing great about him. And you've never heard a worse preacher. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't think Paul was a, an impressive person. A little of stature. Excuse me. But it said, I'm doing this for your edification. <coughs> Excuse me. Sign of strange. Okay. What about you and I? How would we have responded to these many problems? How do we respond to the difficulties, the differences that have happened or that will happen? Will we give out truth that will expose and deal with lovelessness? And will we lay our teaching on the proper foundation? In many of the... <coughs> excuse me. We're almost done, so I've got to finish this. We're getting to a very significant part. For many years, I would turn to the book of Corinthians and say, 1 Corinthians 13 is the chapter. Well, it's very important. But you have to go back to chapter 1. The foundation, the healing foundation for every solution that the Apostle Paul set forth for the Corinthians had to do with the cross. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross 
is to them that perish foolishness. But to those of us who are saved, did you get that? For those of us who are saved, it is the power of God. The power to live the life that one has to live to get in line with all the things where God says, put this off and put this on, is because we've been to the foot of the cross. We've been to Calvary. We've experienced new birth, and the love of God has flooded our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which has been given us. He goes on to say, but we preach Christ crucified. And this is why he would say, I am crucified with Christ. And so when all this stuff comes up in your life and mine that is contrary to love, wait a minute, that's not in the life of Christ. It's not to be in my life. That is not like Christ. That's antichrist. I refuse that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I take full responsibility. If I want to blame you for it, it was me. You say, well, doesn't another person all the times have sin? Yes, but God can take care of them. He doesn't need our help. When we try to help him, realize or not, we're taking our focus off of him transforming us. He's one to speak to you. He's one to speak to me. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. Repent or else. So, the Apostle Paul, the Word of God, gives a specific doctrine, exhortation to deal with specific problems exposes lovelessness to remind us of Calvary love, to remind us whose we are, to unveil the more excellent way of 1 Corinthians 13. In case we have a surface idea of what love is, When God saved you, he flooded your heart with his love by the Holy Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 13 says this is what it looks like in and through the child of God. So as we close, I hope some of you can say, wow, I, I really feel like shouting. I really feel like shouting, I've not arrived, but I am experiencing grace for this high calling of love. I'm able to be a channel for his love. I have a passion to be a channel of his divine love to people in my world, even though they may be unloving, And undeserving. <coughs> Moreover, 
1 Thessalonians 4, 9, and 10. I am being taught of God to love more and more. This is not static. Jude 21. I choose to heed the call to keep myself in the love of God. This is war. This is war. I hope there are others here who are under conviction to repent of lovelessness, to repent of grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit. You hear the call to go forth being filled with the Spirit. You hear the call to stop lying. The issue is not someone else. But we do have an assignment toward those difficult ones. Not a very well-received assignment, but it's God's assignment, and it's very needful. You know, the people who've wronged you, you do, you've got to have some response toward them, don't you? What are you going to do with all that built-up energy of wanting to tell somebody about how bad they are? Recompense no man evil for evil. Avenge not yourselves. Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. In so doing, you shall heap coals of fire upon his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a full-time work. And at the end of the day, there's no guilt, there's no remorse. There's a sweet peace, Lord Jesus. You gave me grace to walk in your steps. This kind of love is impossible without, first of all, having received the love of God in your heart. You cannot express to others what you have not received. You may be here today and you need to be born again. Flee to Christ. Come to him. You may be here today and you know in your heart of hearts there are issues that the Lord has brought to your mind and you need to simply repent. You may need to go to someone and ask for forgiveness. You may need to give forgiveness. You may need to simply turn aside and sit at the foot of the cross and say, thank you, Jesus, for loving me when I was beyond hope. And now, Lord, I'm in your hands to be your servant, to make a difference in this loveless world. By this shall all men know that we're his disciples because we love one another as he has first loved us. Father, we ask for the ministry of the Spirit of God upon us that we would heed the word of the Lord. We thank you that you are present by your Spirit to bring not only conviction, but to bring resolution, to bring 
forgiveness, to bring healing, to empower us on the path of ceasing to quench and grieve the Spirit of God. Father, we know that the greatest, greatest medicine of all for the child of God is to look at Calvary and be astounded that while we were yet sinners, you loved us. Have thine own way in our hearts, and we bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have a hymn of response. We encourage you to obey the Lord right where you stand. If you feel a need to come and pray with someone, or to just, just obey the Lord. Afterwards, if you need to set up a time to meet with someone, we're happy to meet with you to minister any way we can. God bless you. Let's stand and sing.